This Motley Fool podcast is brought to you by Thumbtack. Thumbtack.com provides a fast and easy way to find and hire skilled local professionals. Go to Thumbtack.com to find pros for everything from home improvement to event planning to personal wellness and more. That's Thumbtack.com. Welcome to Industry Focus, a podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. I'm your host, Vincent Shen. It is Tuesday, February 7th, and we have a really fun show in store for you today as we continue with our company face-off, I guess you can call it, in each industry. So, Molly Full Financial Analyst and Baked Goods Extraordinaire, Gabby LaPera, <laughs> will be a special guest on every Industry Focus segment this week as different analysts each pitch some of their uh, favorite stocks in their sectors, giving her the opportunity to eventually pick a winner before potentially investing some of her own portfolio in those companies. Gabby, so glad to have you on the show with us. I'm really pumped to be here. I love being in a studio with people because I'm never in a studio with people. It's just like disembodied voices telling me about banks. Yeah, I I go through the same thing. Uh, usually, you know, the various contributors calling in. Very much love having you guys in studio with us. And so while I while I'll be pitching one company, Sean O'Reilly over here has wandered back to his old stomping grounds on consumer and retail industry focus to pitch the other. Uh, Sean, you haven't been on the show for a long time since you ran I, off to energy and industrials. I miss you terribly. Um, <laughs> not only that, but uh, I am not terribly confident in uh, my stock picking ability at all. So I actually have two horses in the race this week for Gabby. So I'm going to be on the energy show too. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm really, I'm really trying to win this thing. Okay, so when Sean and I were talking about what stocks we might discuss uh, for you, Gabby, we thought it would be fun to spice things up with sin stocks, uh, which tend to be unique to the consumer and retail world. That used to be our favorite thing to do too. Yeah. yeah so, so, but before we get started, I think you mentioned you had some important disclosures to cover. Yes. So, just in case you don't listen to the financial show, we had to get this all approved with our legal team, and they said that I needed to read some stuff to you guys. Uh, just there's actually a lawyer over in the corner staring at us with a very. <laughs> Approving look right now. <laughs> I'm sweating bullets. Um, but yes, so disclaimers. Uh, listeners who have emailed me, this one is super familiar to you guys. I they they are not giving me personal advice, and this is not personal advice to you, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear on the show. We say that at the end of the show, even. Um, you'll notice that no one is gonna pitch me a stock and be like, hey Gabby, I know you like horses, so I picked a horse food manufacturer for you. Um, None of that. It's just stocks that they individually really like as people to enjoy learning about stocks. It's not. It's not personally tailored for me. This is just so that I can learn about their industries. Um, secondly, we have some tradingly trading restrictions at the Motley Fool. Um, basically, I can't. No one on the show and. Me neither. Um, we can't buy any of the stocks that we're going to talk about two days before or two days after the show. So that way we we don't like do some weird market manipulations, and um, we also have to hold on to stocks for at least ten days because we're not about that short term trading, that day trading life. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also, every time we buy stocks, we have to notify our compliance department. So um, yeah, once we. Once I decide on a stock to pick, which could be both, which could be none, maybe you guys won't convince me at all, you guys will be able to see what stocks I end up buying on my little profile on um, my TMF page. Okay. Well, thanks, Gabby, for covering that. Um, to get started, uh, just to give 
listeners an idea of the format. You know, we'll, Sean and I will each spend about five minutes just giving an overview of our respective companies, their businesses, uh, and then we'll try and leave the rest of the show open to you to just ask questions. Uh, we can counter each other, and we'll go from there. Okay? Sounds good. All right. So getting started, and I've always wanted to do this. So in the blue corner, Sean. <laughs> Standing in at about $178 billion market cap from Leuven, Belgium, with over 150,000 employees, the king of beer, Anheuser-Busch InBev. Uh, did you see that commercial during the Super Bowl, by the way? I did not. You uh, go to, uh, everybody needs to go to YouTube, type in Budweiser Super Bowl commercial. It'll, uh, it's a tearjerker. It's oh, really? Nice. Oh, yeah. the, 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 the guy, the immigrant who comes. Yeah. Okay, so we were talking about that commercial. Mm-hmm. That journal that he has that survived being thrown off a ship and fire. I want to buy the journal. I don't want to buy the beer. They made paper better back then. <laughs> um, so, uh, Gabby, for my consumer goods pick, I'm going to seek to appeal to your love, not of anything but civilization. <laughs> okay. I'm going to really ham it up with this one. Uh, what is the one of the first things that humans do when they develop civilizations? Certainly not weapons. Those destroy civilizations. Is it canals or bridges? Maybe, but those are hard to invest in, and civilizations have existed without them. Housing? Sure, but that's pretty cyclical, as we saw in 2008. No, the way to truly generate strong, long-term returns for your portfolio for years to come is to invest in that most sainted of civilizational characteristics, beer brewing. Uh, I first came to this idea last year when I saw an article on Google News about a 5,000-year-old brewery that was just unearthed in central China, and I was immediately like, this is kind of what humans do. Um, you being a, I believe you have a master's degree in anthropology? Mm-hmm. This uh, isn't personal advice, right? No, I'm just saying, okay, you good. know full well that this is a global tale, and <laughs> quite frankly, there's nothing that the ancient Greeks loved more than wine. I mean, come on, That's right? That's true. That's true. Um, so, and that is why today I want to talk to you about AB InBev. Uh, this is the world's largest beer brewer. Um, I don't even wish to build my case around any of AB InBev's extremely attractive financial metrics. These may or may not include a current 3.8% <laughs> dividend yield, which is on its own compares nicely to the 8% long-term average returns that you can expect from the stock market. Um, it also happens to be more than supported by $10 billion a year in free cash flow. Pretty good. Uh, it's return on equity that has averaged a more than respectable 22.88% for the last five reported fiscal years, a sheer gargantuan size of its product offerings, over 400 beer brands, so you'll never get bored. Uh, the fact that it employs more than 200,000 people, and since the SAB Miller acquisition closed, yes, of course. There you go. Uh, or the simple fact that they operate in over 100 countries. I don't know how many there are in the world, 192 or three, depending on the day. Um, uh, what I want to focus on is AB InBev's moat, its competitive advantage, its consumer monopoly. This, after all, is what's really going to generate long-term returns for you or anybody else. As we all know, everybody's favorite investor, Warren Buffett, prefers to invest in businesses with strong long-term competitive advantages, possibly a brand name if possible. Um, it's also no coincidence that the man that merged AB in, uh, Anheuser-Busch and InBev some years ago was Buffett's good friend, 3G Capital founder, Jorge Paulo Leman. Uh, who also happens to be the richest man in Brazil, uh, although he lives in Switzerland, if anybody's curious. Um, what makes AB InBev a fantastic buy today is not only its globally recognizable brands, but its extraordinarily uh, competitive market position in fast-growing markets uh, in South America and Africa. Uh, 
Uh, with the year-old purchase of SAB Miller, uh, AB InBev gained control of nine of the top 30 beer markets in the world. These include Poland, with a population of 32 billion people, and a, they'll have a market share of 38%. South Africa, 82% market share. Colombia, 98% market share. Australia, 37.8% market share. If anybody's curious, these are of 2015 numbers. The Beer Association hasn't done it for the uh, last year. The Czech Republic, 13 million in population, 44% market share. Peru, 95% market share. Hungary, 30%. Ecuador, 92%. Slovakia, 39%. And this is in addition to all of the markets that AB InBev already dominated. This included Brazil with a population of 200 million, and they have a 64% market share. Argentina with 80% market share, 40 million people. Colombia, 48 million people, 98% market share. Mexico, 60 million people, 51% market share. China, 1.35 billion people, 14% market share. United States, 45% market share and a population of 320 million people. Um, in a world, and I said this in an article I wrote last year, in a world where uh, there are antitrust laws and governments don't like it when there's no competition, this is as good as it gets. You cannot get a better market share than this legally without. Uh, th this is this this is cream of the crop, but as good as it gets. Um, you 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 look around at a company like a Coca Cola, they've got a duopoly. That is the only thing I could possibly improve upon, just in terms of market share with this thing. Um, earnings per share are expected to grow this year from 353 per share to 684 per share by fiscal year 2020, according to S&P 500 capital IQ estimates. Um, my competitor, who will begin chatting in a moment, American Outdoor Brands, lacks the dominance and predictability of American Outdoor Brands uh, of AB and Bev. I'm sorry. Um, analysts expect earnings per share over there to go down a little bit. Um, and again, <laughs> um, I, had, I honestly already. had no idea that you were going to essentially. Name my company before I even had a chance to introduce it. This is a competition, but, sir. All right. Well, I'm gonna have to drop some bombs on you later, then. So that's fine. Are you done? Uh, no. I just I wanted to reiterate once again. They make guns. They make tents. That's lovely. But at the end of the day, if you're not wanna... AB in Bev. No, I'm sorry. That's, that's Vince's. My my competition stock. So weak. <laughs> which will sell. So which will, for now, go unnamed. Um, <laughs> At the end of the day, you you look out to where our uh, uh, our speech is going to be in fifty years, in thirty years. They're going to be the drunk. fastest growing, <laughs> the fastest growing. Well, no, but everybody needs a cold one after a long day. And uh, the 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 markets in the United States, Europe, they're mature, but uh, GDP growth in South America and Africa, as these countries continue to develop. It's going to continue chugging along, and as these people get more and more wealth, there's nothing that. Anybody loves more after a long day, once you can afford it, it is a nice ice cold beer. I just want to put in a pitch real quick for How Beer Saved the World. It's a documentary on Netflix. I have actually shown that to classes that I have taught. It's pretty good. Especially, I am so happy right now. And when I say shown it to them, I mean I, I was sick and I couldn't teach class, so I told someone else to show it. But I, it does keep the college students entertained. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I will be talking about my stock shortly. But before we move on, I want to thank Thumbtack.com for supporting Industry Focus. Thumbtack makes it easy to find and hire skilled local professionals for any project on your to-do list with no cost to search. Through Thumbtack, you connect with professionals offering more than 1,100 different services nationwide. Thumbtack can give you what you need for your home, for events, or for anything in between. 
Having recently planned a wedding, I'm blown away by the number of options Thumbtack offers for everything from DJs to catering and photography. Even magicians and photo booths are covered. And this time of year, Thumbtack can help you keep up with your 2017 resolutions by connecting you with the right personal trainers, instructors, and tutors to stick to your goals for the new year. Submitting a request is quick, simple, and free. Just answer some questions about what you're looking for, and within hours of sending your request, local professionals will go back to you with custom quotes for your project. Each quote includes a price estimate, profile of business, verified customer reviews, and a personalized message. Just compare your quotes and decide who best fits your project and needs, and you can even chat with the professionals directly if you have questions or need more information to make your decision. Thanks again to Thumbtack for supporting Motley Fool. Go to Thumbtack.com to find and hire local skilled professionals for just about anything you need. Again, that's Thumbtack.com. All right, so since Sean already named my company, I hate you. Uh, I'm gonna still do this though because I, I, I want you. to. In the red corner, okay, standing in at 1.1 billion dollars market cap, seems kind of humble now. From Springfield, Massachusetts, with 1,500 employees, American Outdoor Brands, homegrown, <laughs> home of the legendary Smith and Wesson. Uh, okay, so not as big, but I will show you why that this is. I actually love both companies, frankly, so this isn't that hard for me, but. You know, Smith & Wesson's name, the, the name dates back to 1852. Uh, today, it remains an undisputed leader in the firearms d- industry. Uh, for example, with revolvers, one out of every two revolvers owned in this country is from Smith & Wesson. So, they wow. have their own dominant uh, you know, kind of market share. Uh, half of the general population over 18 years of age knows the brand, while 9 in 10 handgun buyers are familiar with Smith & Wesson. Uh, and uh, American Outdoor Brands, which they recently changed their name to uh, as of the beginning of this year, the company operates in two segments. So they have their firearms and their outdoor products and accessories. Uh, and those further break down to their own divisions. I'll get into that a little bit more uh, if later. But for what you should know is that for the most recent reported quarter, uh, you know their total sales uh, were about two hundred and thirty-four million dollars. But that's up sixty-three percent year over year. So they've seen very strong growth. Um, their gross margins are, are similarly improving. Uh, at right, they came in at forty-one point eight percent. That's a two point six percentage point expansion over the prior year quarter. Um, bottom line adjusted earnings, uh, and that's adjusted for some costs because they've uh, been going through a lot of different acquisitions, was at uh, about $0.68 cents per share compared to $0.25 cents per share last year. And overall, uh, with that firearms manufacturer, uh, with, with those two segments between firearms and their accessories, the firearm segment is about $195 billion of those sales. Um, and that was up 60% year over year. So this is, you know, about 83% of their top line, you know, the core of the business. And being in the industry for so long, the company has, you know, a very strong brand. And they've also developed a ton of expertise in metalworking, plastics, casting, and other engineering and manufacturing spe- specialties. So what they're really doing is they're kind of leveraging this expertise for you know the core firearms business, but also for these other accessories and outdoors businesses they're they're expanding to. And I'll describe those a little bit more later. But they're also outsourcing some of these capabilities to uh, essentially in B two B services to other business partners. Uh, they have plans to, for this part of the business. I see this as one of like the growth catalysts. Uh, they have plans for this business to hit $100 million uh, in the next five years, and this essentially exposes them beyond the firearms industry because they can help companies in the aerospace, automotive, oil and gas, and medical industries too. And then 
On the uh, outdoor products and accessory side, that includes three different divisions. You have their core accessories. So this includes stuff like what you need to clean your gun, uh, to repair it, gunsmithing, things like that, if you're not as familiar with the space. And then they also have their electro-optics, which includes like laser sights, scopes, and then outdoor recreation, which is the newest, uh, actually uh, a division that was established uh, with a news that came out just towards the beginning of this year. This is really targeting thing, things like camping, hiking, fishing, uh, paddling sports, things along those lines. Uh, so this is a smaller portion of the business uh, with just $39 million in sales, about 17% of the top line. But they're higher gross margins, usually approaching 50%, so it should help the company overall. And so without getting too much uh, into too much detail, just know that just like with Smith and Wesson, some of the brands that operate, you know, within this umbrella, like Crimson Trace and uh, Benfield Technologies, Taylor, uh, sure, um, Taylor, and a bunch of different like cutlery brands and things along those lines. You know, these are very well-known names among enthusiasts in this market. Uh, similarly, uh, very well-respected, like the you know legendary Smith and Wesson name. So, big picture, um, the way I like to say to to look at it is, you take all these diverse businesses and then you roll together their back office and administrative functions, which is what the company's been doing. So, you roll together things like accounting, human resources, legal departments into more of a centralized operation. So, you let the divisions focus on their innovation and their growth, and then you let American outdoor brands, uh, you know, lever their uh, this kind of consolidation. As they seek out acquisition targets, so long term they have a gross margin target of about 37 to 41 percent, and this was just 31 percent in 2012. So it's clearly incre- uh, improved over time. You know they're targeting fiscal year 2017 revenue of over 900 million dollars. It was just 723 million in 2016. Again, some of that growth, both organic and inorganic, with those acquisitions. Um, and the thing is, what I find really interesting is. You know, international sales for them still a really small part of the business, just about three percent or so, um, and they have a very flexible manufacturing model that basically, you know, in the firearms industry with uh, you know various politics and things like that, it can be very cyclical. And ultimately, what they've tried to do is really make their model as flexible as possible so that they can adjust to to the demand in the market, but also with this increasing uh, portfolio of different products, they can. Basically, optimize the product mix as well for their uh, very well established manufacturing um, facilities. So, this means more efficiency, more cost savings, and for industry dynamics overall, this is what I'll end on because I'm probably running short on time. Uh, you know, the market for non military firearms is only about $4 billion, and the company's market share is somewhere around 13%, maybe 15% in this space. So, while it's leading name, it still has plenty of room to run, and the company's very, very happily been taking market share for several years now. And ATF estimates that firearm industry has enjoyed a CAGR of about 10% from 2009 to 2014. But the real thing is here is that the shooting hunting market is much bigger, $15 billion. And you expand that to the outdoor recreation market, which they're now getting into, essentially, 30 to $35 billion. So, what they've really done here is taken that course respected Smith & Wesson name, the expertise that they developed in that space, they've basically opened it up to a much bigger addressable market. So, what I see is a really long runway for growth. So, if we're kind of taking shots at each other, you know, Sean here, <laughs> you know, he's got a dominant name. Incredible cash flows, can't deny that. 4% dividend yield, very attractive. But here you have a much longer potential runway for actual growth. Like I said, leading name, but only 15% market share in their core industry. And then now they have all these uh, 
these acquisitions, these new brands in their portfolio to leverage with their other expertise and to really expand that beyond just firearms into these uh, new divisions. Wow. Okay. So, a lot of information from both of you. Um, and I have questions for both of you. Sure. So, uh, so Sean, actually, talking about growth that, that Vince was just talking about, um, I heard a lot of market shares that were already pretty high um, in a lot of countries. And sure, they're, uh, it's about 50% of the countries in the world mm-hmm. around there. Um, what are their plans for growth? Like, Do they have stated plans for growth? Um, the, the reason I found AB InBev so attractive uh, when I first started looking into it was how analogous it was to Warren Buffett's uh, 1988 investment in Coca-Cola. Um, Every sorry, everyone has been pulling on Warren Buffett. It's just so easy. <laughs> Maxfield, um, Jordan. <laughs> so um, well, it works. Um, so Coca Cola was dominant in the United States, but uh, since the seventies and the eighties, Pepsi had been kind of given a bit of a run for their money. Um, when Buffett invested, he he actually did it because of the uh, Coca Cola's global story. Um, the United States it's about fifty fifty between Coca Cola and Pepsi, but this this planet in terms of uh, carbonated soda is owned by Coca Cola. It is staggering, and uh, if you hear Buffett talk about it anymore, he's you know owner for twenty five thirty years. He says he'll never sell a share because per capita consumption by volume continues to grow up go grow on planet Earth. And that's the story with AB InBev. They um, they're not going to see a lot of growth here domestically in the United States. I mean, the craft brewing. I mean, they're buying craft breweries now. I mean, left and right because they got to play catch up somehow. But they're not going to go much above forty five percent market share in the United States. So that actually is another one of my questions: is what is their bread and butter product? Is it cheap beer? Is it nice beer? Is it? It, it, is, it is. It is Budweiser it at sporting events. <laughs> <laughs> Um, what you need to focus on is the population in the United States is 320 million people. That is lovely. But the per capita consumption of beer in its key growth markets, which I wanted to highlight, which is Africa and South America, is a fraction. How many, how many, how many beers do people drink? In? Like it's, I think it's about a sixth or a seventh or something. Um, the population of Africa is 1.216 billion people, and South America is 422 million people. So that's oh, I don't know, 1.7 billion human beings that are going to, throughout the century, that, become wealthier and that drink more beer. Babies, by yeah. the way. Well, you know, <laughs> this is the long-term story. Um, so, well, think of the average age of these countries. This um, fair. So that is that is the growth story. It is not so much oh, we're going to innovate new beers. It is these people are going to become wealthier, and it is almost a sure thing that when people become wealthier, they drink more. Okay, real talk. Are there any problems with AB and Bev? Well, you have this thing called a liver, and if you drink a lot of alcohol, um, no, the minor problem, which is more than funded by their free cash flow generation and, uh, as I said, monopolistic. Market positions is um, they took on a bit of debt to buy SAB Miller. It is manageable and it is fine, but it's a little bit higher than would be ideal. Um, the return on capital more than covers this. It's like twelve or thirteen percent, I believe. Um, uh, the only other problem is its size. You will not get crazy rich owning this, but you will do reasonably well, I would think. Okay. So this is, you know, a steady earner for those people looking for for income in their retirement years. <laughs> it's just, it's just a funny concept. Sure. Beer, old people. Grandma. Uh, old yeah. people like to drink too. I, they do. I, my grandfather would put down a would put down a Jack Daniels <laughs> or Johnny Walker. Um, 
which are actually very like Johnny Walker is a very very popular brand in South America. Interestingly enough. Um, question for me. Question for you. Uh, you mentioned legislation. Um, sure. And I know that you said that they're that they're moving towards like the camping equipment to help smooth that out. Sure. Um, do you do you actually foresee that as being a problem in the United States? I I feel like every time we've gotten close to gun regulation, it, it's we've backed away. Uh, I feel that there is definitely a risk factor that you have to take into account for the industry. Um, you know, the fact of the matter is, demand often goes hand in hand with greater calls for gun control. So you think about oh. 2012, 2015. Um, you know, after some you know shooting tragedies in this country. Uh, you had government officials, uh, some leadership, including the president, kind of speak to potential calls for a new assault weapons ban, things like that. And what that results in is a run for this industry where a lot of these companies could not even keep up with demand. And part of that is the reason why the, you know, uh, American Outdoor Brands, they've really focused on having uh, some of that flexibility in their manufacturing to address things like this because it can be so cyclical and can happen so quickly. But in terms of regulation, I think overall, you know, Things are much steadier now in this administration. I can't speak to that 10, right. 15 years from Obviously. now. But overall, it seems like the Second Amendment is here to stay. And uh, the you know something that I've seen that's, I guess, more encouraging for the industry is the idea that you know there were record numbers of NICS checks in 2016. What that is is like the National Instant uh, Criminal Background Check System. And uh, each time you want to purchase a firearm from a store, for example, they'll run a check. So th- it's not a... Perfect one to one. There was, but it's usually seen. These checks are usually seen as a proxy mm-hmm. for demand. Record numbers in 2016, uh, and overall, there's been record numbers of concealed carry permit applications in several states. And industry surveys showing outsized interest from new shooters, first-time shooters, from underrepresented demographics like women and minorities. So overall, it seems like interest is growing, um, and you'll see mixed polls and surveys about uh, whether gun ownership in this country is going up or down. But by all these other metrics, it seems like the demand there is strong and growing. And I generally see this uh, a very sustainable market. And uh, you know that's my take on it in terms of the regulatory situation. It's really interesting. I don't have a lot of like real-life experience with guns. Um, my father does, because he's South American, and that was something that everyone had in South America sure. to protect themselves. And my college roommate was a big turkey hunter. Mm-hmm. Um, she was. Oh wow! Yeah, I mean, she was. She was on a turkey hunting video. That's a thing. Like people watch other people hunt. Did you turkeys. ever come back to the dorm and see a dead turkey carcass like over in the corner? No, but she she caught all sorts of, or I guess not caught. She killed all sorts of things. Um, she wasn't freaky. She was like she was really cool. She didn't do any. Anything like in our college dorm, but she would go home every uh, every once in a while to go like deer hunting with her dad, and we'd get like big bags of venison jerky and stuff. Um, but uh, the other thing I wanted to ask you about was um, well, two things. The the well, let's focus on one because I think we're running a little bit short on time. The B two B partnerships. Um, can you talk a little bit more about those? Like, is that going to be a flaw in the plan? Like, are they going to look to vertically integrate eventually, or? Yeah, so I think part of that is just uh, really what it comes down to is kind of the company, again, diversifying just some of their business away from that cyclical nature. So if, for example, you know, a lot of people right now, the stock has, I'm not going to deny, has taken quite a beating since Trump won the election. It's down about 30% uh, or over that. And I think a lot of people see it as, well, you know, if, uh, if Hillary had won and 
then people would have seen that as, okay, well, probably more calls for gun control, demand would have surged, the stocks probably would have done much better. But under Trump, you know, people aren't in as much of a rush anymore to buy because they feel like uh, their gun rights, for example, are, are safer now. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that's interesting because I'm, it's counterintuitive, but yeah, I never, yeah. it is counterintuitive. Um, but even, but like you, you were talking about, like the camping businesses, I know that in general, a lot more people are going outside. It's actually a huge problem for the national parks because you have so many more people going out than were going before that it, it's starting to be a parks management issue, um, especially with people who are new to camping and are like, camping in the wrong spot or not bearing their waist properly or mm-hmm. not maintaining the trail um, stuff well. The trail etiquette, I learned about that this weekend. <laughs> so, well, so ultimately, uh, to answer your question, I feel like it's just part of the fact that they have this capacity. They're trying to find the, way, the best ways to use it as efficiently as possible. And that's between their firearms business, between their various accessories businesses that they've recently acquired in the past few years, and now through some of these Kind of this more B two B outlet, mm-hmm. but a question I, I guess I would pose to you, or a way to look at it is, you know, think about your roommate who was a turkey hunter. Think about the amount of gear that she had when yeah. she went on these hunts. Think about the amount of gear that you need to have if you go on a hike or something. And these are all opportunities I think for the company. And the thing is, they have all this specialty in making these kinds of goods with plastic injection molding, metal working. They're very familiar with. Uh, you know, hunters, this market, right, with the firearms they make for them, what they like, and they trust, and people in these, you know, I feel like in any type of hobby tend to trust the brands they already know. And this is definitely a case where that, you know, stands strong. Interesting. Okay. So I actually do have one last question for the both of you, which is um, if you were to give a beginning investor one piece of advice, what would it be? You want to take that? I'll happily go first. So uh, I think. And we've talking. I've been talking about it with this company in terms of diversifying. And I've recently had a lot of conversations with my younger cousin. He's a, I think, sophomore now at Notre Dame, and he has recently gotten super interested into in investing. Been asking me a ton of questions because of my work here at the Molly Fool. And you know, everyone knows that you're supposed to diversify your portfolio. You know, even on some of your risks, invest in different sectors, different kinds of stocks, uh, and just. Uh, you know, diversify your diversify your portfolio. Excuse me, the best you can. I think something else I've been trying to hammer into him is to diversify the sources of your information, how you research companies, and learn about them as well. Um, he would very commonly call me and say, "Hey, I read about this uh, article in Bloomberg. Very bullish on a company. Do you think I should buy?" I told him, well, hold your horses there. What else do you know? This is based on one person's potential opinion, one analyst's opinion. You should really round out where you're getting your information from. Make sure you know more about the company, what the actual prospects are before you dive in. So, in that sense, I would say, you know, make sure you're looking at the primary sources, like the financial statements, the press releases, and also getting opinions so you can get the bear case, the bull case, and then make a decision somewhere probably in between there. And also for listeners who are college students, that's great advice for any paper you write. Look at <laughs> look for look for sources that have different opinions from the ones that support your viewpoint, and make sure you look at the primary sources. Can't tell you how many people never look at them in history papers. Um, Sean. Yeah, actually, my uh, word of advice echoes that a bit. Um, I actually recommend literally writing a bear piece on anything that you're interested in buying. Interesting. Like that- literally, make it your goal to. Like wake up fresh in the morning and write a bear case. That makes a lot of sense to me. That way, you're very familiar with the with the company's weaknesses. So, guys, thanks for having me on. Yeah. I think I have to. I'm like trying to take the hosting duties away from Vince, and I don't mean to. You this, go for it. No, it's fine, Gabby. I appreciate it. We got to stay on time here. So, 
that is uh, that's the time we have. Unless you guys have any final comments, I'll leave it at that. Um, but, this is fun, you guys. I enjoyed it. Uh, we would love to hear which companies you think uh, may have made the stronger case. Uh, you can reach out to us and the rest of the IF crew by Twitter at MF Industry Focus, or send us any questions via email to industryfocus at fool.com. Don't forget to check out our other very foolish podcasts at fool.com slash podcast. People on the program may own companies discussed in the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear during the program. Thanks for listening, and Fool on. <laughs>